morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Kathy Kay, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Thursday, August 21st, 2014. Today we are reading from the big book, and we are on page 131, the first paragraph, beginning, Drinking Isolates Most. Today's readers are Leslie F. on the 12 Steps, Rabia on the 12 Traditions, and reading the text are Elaine, Larry, and Rachel M. Uh, The reference number for yesterday, Wednesday, August 20th, is 6778. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At A Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Leslie F. to read the 12 steps. Good morning. This is Leslie F., a recovering compulsive overeater from Illinois. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made the decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made the searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, may direct amends to such people wherever possible except to do except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continue to take personal inventory and when we were wrong promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs.
Thank you, Leslie yeah. F. And I will now ask Rabia uh, to read the 12 traditions. Good morning, everyone. I am Rabia, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater for today. Thank you, God. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group would never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name or never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you. I pass. Thank you, Rabia. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. When you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone but the speaker should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book on page 131, the first full paragraph that begins, Drinking Isolates Most. And I will ask Elaine to begin reading. Thank you, Kathy. This is Elaine B., recovered in Massachusetts. Drinking isolates most homes from the outside world. Father may have laid aside for years all normal activities, clubs, civic duties, sports. When he renews his interest in such things, a feeling of jealousy may arise. The family may feel they hold a mortgage on dad, 
so big that no equity should be left for outsiders. Instead of developing new channels of activity for themselves, mother and children demand that he stay home and make up the deficiency. At the very beginning, the couple ought to frankly face the fact that each will have to yield here and and there if the family is going to play an effective part in the new life. Father will necessarily spend much time with other alcoholics, but this activity should be balanced. New acquaintances who know nothing of alcoholism might be made and thoughtful consideration given their needs. The problems of the community might engage attention. Though the family has no religious connections, they may wish to make contact with or take membership in a religious body. Alcoholics who have derided religious people will be helped by such contacts. Being possessed of a spiritual experience, the alcoholic will find he has much in common with these people, though he may differ with them on many matters. If he does not argue about religion, he'll make new friends and is sure to find new avenues of usefulness and pleasure. He and his family can be a bright spot in such a in such congregations. He may bring new hope and new courage to many a priest, minister, or rabbi who gives his all to minister to our troubled world. We intend the foregoing as a helpful suggestion only. So far as we're concerned, there is nothing obligatory about it. As non-denominational people, we cannot make up others' minds for them. Each individual should consult his own conscience. Conscience. So um, I think to sponsors, it's a great instruction um, for people that they are bringing through the process and and that reach recovered and begin working with others to direct their thoughts to um, to this sentence at the beginning of um, the second paragraph here or the third paragraph. At the very beginning, a couple ought to frankly face the fact that each will have to yield here and there if the family is going to play an effective part in the new life. Because, you know, as recovered compulsive overeaters, we need to get this program away. We need to be working with others. And finding a balance between our family obligations, our obligations to program, um, keeping God's will first, and the other things that open up in our lives because we've done this work, clearing the wreckage of our past, uh, relieving us from our fears of people, places, and things, uh, doing amends that make it safe to once again go into parts of our community that we may have been trying to avoid, and um, having our minds cleared and our eyes opened and our hearts turned towards the needs of others instead of just focusing on ourselves will open up all types of opportunities and um, interests and things that we may want to get involved in. Places where we've closed the doors of like, um, you know, religions of our youth or um, community service or other things may may begin to crack open, and we may find that we're going to be very, very useful members of community, but this will impact the time with the family and um, It makes me think of the gentleman who received a large amount of money from a competitor and didn't you know 
made it look as though he never received that money. And then when he made his public apology, it said that this person is one of the most outstanding members of the community. Well, how does that happen? You're in the community. You're involved with the community. You're engaged with the community. And um, I'm, I'm very grateful that, uh, that I have been as, as I've been doing this work, I was directed to attend a new uh, religious institution and uh, a, you know a church community, and um, they've recently had a number of deaths that are addiction related, and um, both my husband and I are are involved with the program and really see the power and the benefit of it, and it's been um, really great to be able to carry this message with people that are doing this work in the community. I also had dinner with a lawyer who is a public defender for somatics and was able to give them a new perspective and also a new hope. They thought there was no hope, but there is hope if we follow these steps um, as they're laid out in the big book. And the reading ends with, we cannot make up others' minds for them. Each individual should consult his own conscience. And I believe that's true of most areas of the program, that we really need to um, to evaluate what we're doing, what our lives are involved, how we're spending our time, how we're helping um, our family and others by bringing that to God and letting him direct us. And when we have a clear conscience, that's good. Thank you so much for the opportunity to read. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Elaine. Who would like to share on these paragraphs? Well, um, this is Kathy Kay, and I will take a turn. Um, I'm a recovered compulsive overeater, and um, I really identify with the experience of wanting to spend much time with other alcoholics and finding it difficult to be balanced in that pursuit and in attending to my family responsibilities as well. I can remember um, that during the first year I was in program, um, I got much more uh, active, not only in meetings, but in reaching out to fellow travelers, and it felt so good. It felt so supportive of my recovery. Um, And I I am very grateful today that my family uh, did not balk at that, and and they basically had an intuitive sense that this this was good for me and made it possible for me to abstain from compulsive overeating and to get my balance, uh, my emotional balance back. Um, And I also uh, am aware that uh, I've wrestled for many years with trying to include my husband um, in the... uh, in the pro in understanding my program as much as possible, um, I somehow found that um, to be important in terms of my feeling that my life is a whole and not segmented into my program life and my family life. And um, this hasn't always been easy. 
Um, I think that uh, underlying what's said here is um, the importance of not only taking action, both as a family member and as the alcoholic, but also beginning to have conversation about how we can uh, be a team in the effort to create a new new family life along with a recovered life. Um, so these are very good suggestions, um, and with that I pass. Who else would like to share on this? Rabia. Hey, Rabia. Morning, everyone. I'm Rabia, and I am a compulsive recovered overeater. Um, I, I, I just am loving that the big book is so alive uh, in my life today. That um, whatever I'm reading in it, it, it's so pertinent to to my day-to-day life. And uh, this first sentence: drinking isolates most most homes from the outside world. I mean, that's so true of me. You know, in my disease, I never wanted to have company. I first of all, I either I had didn't want to share my binge foods, or else I was fat and full of self-loathing, and my home was the only safe place I had from the world who could see me, and and I was an isolator. So, um, so my home was such a place of isolation, and. I woke up this morning, and in my home, my husband is sleeping, his mother is sleeping, and his sister is sleeping. And what a miracle. What a modern-day miracle. And I am so joyful to be sharing my home with them this morning. And um, that, that, <laughs> that leaves me blessed awe. That's what I say, blessed awe. And... Um, and then at the bottom of the page, it says, being possessed of a spiritual experience, the alcoholic will find he has much in common with these people. Um, and then the last sentence, as non-denominational people. So so this is about being all-inclusive, never-exclusive, and this certainly pertains to my today life. It's so perfect I was asked to read the 12 traditions because I because thank God I made an amend yesterday to someone in one of my face-to-face meetings, and I broke every single tradition um, because I I didn't agree with anything this person had to say, um, and and I attacked her. You know I I just made it really clear that it was anti big book, it was anti the steps and. In doing so, uh, you know, I I broke every tradition. I especially um, totally forgot that for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, um, and God is the group conscience of the meeting, and that we the underlying principle of all these traditions is to be all inclusive and never exclusive. And and I have much in common with this person. I have much in common with everyone at an OA meeting. And and, and I'll end by saying the one thing I learned in making that amend is when I am charged emotionally, when I feel my blood 
churning inside me, that is never the time to speak. That is never the time to share. That's always the time to pause, to pass, to let the higher, to let God fill the room, and maybe to share later, and maybe not. And with that, I I end. Thank you so much. Thank you, Rabia. Who else would like to share? Anita J. Joanne. Anita, I heard Anita and Joanne. Is there someone else? Monica. Monica. Okay, let's start with Anita then. Hi, thank you, Kathy. Um, this is Anita J from Massachusetts. You can hear me? Yes, I can, Anita. Okay, great, great. I, I just um, look at thinking back. I mean, I've never forgotten when I first joined. Away, uh, my kids were in high school. I had just returned to work after many years' absence, and I was when I started. It was three months after I started full-time work. I went once a week. I went once a week for one year, working me just the food. I didn't know that's what I was doing, but I was working just the food. And then when that process stopped working, I needed to go more. But I really had a fear. I I had a fear. And, you know, through through working the steps, I've come to see that I, I guess I was afraid of authority figures, saw my husband as an authority figure, afraid of his wrath and wanted only, didn't want to make waves, no waves. But it turns out that the waves, were, was in a mud puddle. There were no waves. They were all coming from inside me. And I have really, through the years, saw, found out that when I really worked the program, which I need to do by attending meetings, reading the book, which it's so ironic that when I first started, that's all we had was the big book. And everybody, I don't think, I know I didn't totally appreciate it. I kept waiting for our OA literature. And isn't this ironic? Here I am again, back, back, immersed, far, really immersed. It's no longer a little mud puddle I'm splashing around in. That's a fantastic experience. And um, I found that my family has always supported me. I just didn't see it. I was all wrapped up in myself and thinking that Anything that I do positive for me, that's going to take away from them, and that's been exactly the opposite. I really thank you all for being on this this line every day. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Anita J. Um, Joanne, please go ahead. Hi, good morning. This is Joanne from Charlestown, Massachusetts, and what really stuck out to me with the reading this morning is, you know, the isolation and the effect on the family. I remember when I was in my 20s, I had left college um, and I was in the food. It was just a horrible period. And I remember one specific Thanksgiving, I'm, I'm living with my parents and my parents are incredibly social. And we had relatives in for Thanksgiving at their house and I never came out of the bedroom. 
And I've made amends to my parents for that, but can you imagine three days while relatives are visiting, I hold it up in my bedroom because I was so in the food, so ashamed of the weight gain. It was like I was psychotic. And I know that that had such an impact on my family. And, you know, I can only imagine the excuses my mom had to make. And I'm in my 20s. And um, so now it's like living amends. Family is really important to my mom. And, you know, it, it is to me also. But I, I'm single. And I I honestly am still can be very comfortable alone versus with people. I've always struggle with that, but this weekend, really, to the grace of God, you know, it's my uncle's 80th birthday, and there was a big event Saturday and a barbecue on Sunday, and I showed up, and I'm just so glad I showed up, and it, it was fun, but it, but it was exhausting, too, and, um, but I show up for these things, things I could never do before, so, you know, I have to constantly be on guard especially living alone, to make sure I'm reaching out and being with people because I don't know what it is. My default mode, even though I've been absent a long time working the program, is the couch and the TV. There's a dark side of me that wants that, but it never makes me happy. And I'm much happier when I'm out and about and with people. And, you know, it's through absence and working these steps and trying to get rid of that self-centered fear that I have. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Joanne. And Monica, please go ahead. Good morning, Kathy. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. So here we are in Chapter 9, the family afterward. And, of course, this is all a continuation of Step 12 here and and in, in practicing how are we going to practice our principles that we've learned through our steps here in our families. And so the first paragraph, drinking isolates most homes from the outside world. You know, isolates, cuts us off. And here the alcoholic, you know, he has. You know, he's he's isolated and he's at home probably you know, all the time. And so his family have him all the time, good or bad. You know, no bad attention is, is better than no attention at all, even at some times in some places. So, and then he gets into recovery and he starts... Um, being, you know, going out and 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 maybe a lot here, and so the family they're getting they're they're telling us here, you know, they may be jealous that uh, you know again they're being left alone. He's not paying any attention to them, and he's paying all this attention to everybody else. You know that doesn't that doesn't uh, cause for good feelings here in the family. And so they're saying, okay, at the beginning here, the the couple need to face the fact, and they're telling us each needs to yield, each needs to work on this, to uh, give and take here a little bit, and um, and that you know they need to each part needs to understand what's going on here, what's the dynamics going on here, that he needs to do this, but at the same time he needs to find a balance and. Um, I think for most of us, when we first get recovered, we're all excited. We're gun ho I'm still excited. <laughs> but um, all gun ho and, you know, yip, yip, I want everybody to know, dancing up and down and, and uh, you know, spending a lot of time on the phone and talking with everybody. And, you know, the little husband gets sort of left behind. And it does leave for, you know, some hurt feelings here and there. You know, you got all this time for everybody else and none for me. What gives here? 
So it needs to be talked about. That's what they're saying here. You know, there, we need some honesty here. Um, and thinking of others here. And in that case, it's the family, you know. We've got to also think about our families, not about all the other suffering compulsive overeaters out there. We have to find a balance. And I think it takes time, you know, and we see where that, that's, that, that works better. And then the big book goes on to say that, you know, well, maybe you all haven't been in any connected with any religious affiliation, but maybe that might be a good, a good thing for you all to do together. And, uh, you know, if you keep your mouth shut about your, your thoughts on religion, you might make a lot of friends that way, and it could be something that the family could do together. And with that, I will pass. Thank you, Monica. Let's move on to the next uh, three paragraphs, and I'll ask Larry to read them for us. Good morning, Kathy Kay. Um, this is Larry, a recovered compulsive reader from Chicago. Okay, we've been speaking to you of serious, sometimes tragic things. We've been dealing with alcohol and its worst, at, worst aspect. But we aren't a glum lot. If newcomers could see no joy or fun in our existence, they wouldn't want it. We absolutely insist on, everyone, uh, on enjoying life. We try not to indulge in cynicism over the state of the nations, nor do we carry the world's troubles on our shoulders. When we see a man sinking into the mire that is alcoholism, we give him first aid and place what we have at his disposal. For his sake, we do recount and almost relive the horrors of our past. But those of us who have tried to shoulder the entire burden and trouble of others find we are soon overcome by them. So we think cheerfulness and laughter make for usefulness. Outsiders are sometimes shocked when we burst into merriment over a seemingly tragic experience out of the past. But why shouldn't we laugh? We have recovered. We have been given the power to help others. Everybody knows that those in bad health and those who seldom play do not laugh much. So let each family play together or separately, as much as their circumstances warrant. We are sure God wants us to be happy, joyous, and free. We cannot subscribe to the belief that this life is a veil of tears, though it once was just that for many of us. But it is clear that we made our own misery. God didn't do it. Avoid then the deliberate manufacture of misery. But if trouble comes, cheerfully capitalize it as an opportunity to demonstrate his omnipotence. Wow, really uh, powerful stuff here. You know, this reminds me of a couple of things. Uh, Every Saturday morning uh, for years now at 6.30 a.m., you're going to find me at, uh, at an AA meeting in Naperville, Illinois, with roughly uh, 100 other people. And um, these are recovering drunks, uh, drug addicts, former criminals. Even, you might even find one compulsive overeater. Um, Many people who face death, prison, uh, institutions for the insane, uh, all sorts of things. And you're going to find uh, there doctors, lawyers, other professionals, uh, steel workers, laborers, people of all, you know, uh, socioeconomic stations in life, um, uh, racist genders. It's mostly men, but uh, it's, it's an open meeting to, to, to men and women, of course. Um, and if you wanted to find this meeting, it, it wouldn't be too terribly hard to find it. Um, I know because there was the day years ago when I had to find it. I decided to find it. 
And if you knew how to get to the general vicinity of the meeting, um, as I did years ago, um, you'd see what, what I can only describe as like a, you know, picture like a family reunion every Saturday morning. You know, you picture in your mind approximately 100 people who had, uh, let's say, cancer. They were given a stage four cancer and were miraculously cured. Not suggesting I'm cured, but picture that, that they were cured. Do you suppose they'd be somber? Uh, no. Um, no, it's not somber at all. You're going to see people get there early. And uh, they're in, you know, they're, uh, it's like meeting you know, family members you haven't seen. Of course, you saw them last Saturday, but you haven't seen in a while. You're going to see newcomers. You're going to see old timers. Um, you can see all, all different types of people. You know, it's, uh, we're not a glum lot. We do get down to seriousness. There's a lot of joking around and, and, and recalling our past misery, uh, but we, we get down to uh, the seriousness of... Uh, I go to that meeting. I'm not a, uh, an alcoholic, uh, but I go to that meeting because uh, they're steeped in the, the big book. And, um, you know, it's interesting to me that we can never really know the state of mind, you know, the attitudes, thoughts, and feelings of other people. But we depend on signals, you know, which are frequently ambiguous to inform us about, you know, the attitudes and wishes of other people. But I could be a mind reader, you know, that's one of my character flaws. And, you know, so my basic problem, you know, was, was lack of power, of course. But with that, my coding system to understand and interpret these signals was defective. It was broken. And so God repaired that. And so now when I go to meetings and so forth, I can see I don't misinterpret the laughter, the, you know, the, the joy of being saved. You know, that's what happened to me. And if I'm trying to, I, I, don't, I don't necessarily carry the burden of, of others on my shoulders today, but I do act a good Samaritan every day because, um, you know, helping others, that's, you know, you know, um, helping others is the foundation stone of my recovery. So when I talk about, like, the day before I got into, um, if I'm talking to a newcomer, I'll never forget the day before I, I first came to to to, uh, to a 12-step room, and that was um, the misery of eating uh, three fast food meals that day with sugary dessert items in between. That, that was not... Uh, 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 I'd like to tell you that that was, uh, uh, you know, a day that wow, that's 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 a lot, you know. Because believe me, when I when I went to get fast food meals, um, it was I was buying for two or three um, each each time, and there was three that day. I remember it like it was yesterday, although it was many years ago. And uh, I can talk about that with you know and and laugh about it, because see, God saved me. All I did was I worked these steps and applied these principles and, and I had a spiritual awakening sufficient to arrest this disease. And now, you know, I, I mean, laughter and, and, and excitement about this? Yeah, of course. And, uh, you know, in, in, in that AA meeting, we can talk about, you know, those times. We, I'm, not, I'm not afraid that I'm going to catch something. You know, I know what God has done for me. So they, they do talk about their binges their drug binges, their heroin binges, their alcohol binges. Now, I know in a lot of OA rooms, including this one, we don't, we don't talk about food, you know, and I respect that. Um, but, uh, you know, I can, with another recovered person, certainly they know what I mean. We can talk about the, 
the gas. I mean, it was not unheard of me to unheard of for me to eat a gallon of of uh, sugary dessert item. You know, that was all the time, and the misery that came with that, and the shame and remorse. Well, I need to be able to share those things with other people so they can they can they can know that I you know they can identify with me and they can see the hope in what's happened to me. I didn't do this for myself. I just worked some simple steps. It was hard to work those steps. So I, that's the message I carry. And I, no, I'm not glum uh, at all. I'm grateful and, and joyful today. And that's the message I carry. So with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry. Who would like to share on these paragraphs? This is um, Bella. Share. Sheila. Sheila. This would be Paula, somewhere in the lines. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I heard a lot of people. I heard Sarah and Bella and Paula, but I think there was someone. Sheila. Sheila and is that Marilyn? Carolyn. Oh, Carolyn. Sorry, Carolyn. Okay, Okay. here's what I have so far, and please tell me if I didn't catch you. Sheila, Sarah, Bella, Paula, and Carolyn. Anybody else? Pam, did you hear me there? Oh, sorry. No, Pam. Let me add you to the list. Thank you. Okay, we'll begin with Sheila. Please go ahead. Thank you. Can you hear me? I can. Okay. Sheila H. from New York. I'm covering a day at a time. Thank you, God. Thank you for your service. Such a very helpful, helpful uh, reading. I... I just brought back to uh, the first day I went into a 12-step meeting and so much pain and despair. I thought the people were crazy because they were laughing at each other. And I, I didn't yeah. find anything, anything fun. Can you hear me? Yeah, Sheila, wait one minute. I think there's someone unmuted. Would everybody... I'm sorry. Can you hear me now? Yes, I can hear you, Sheila. I'm just checking with others. To make sure everyone's muted. Okay, okay go ahead. thank you. I was just saying the first time I went into a meeting, first meeting, 12-step meeting, and I heard laughter coming from a room. I thought I was going to the wrong place, but that was not what I expected to hear. Um, I was in such despair. All I could do was say my first name and, and cry. And um, I thought people were crazy sitting around laughing and talking at something that was so serious. And I thought, I don't know how I'm going to get any help in these rooms. And um, years later, I know that the ability to be able to laugh through it is, is what helps us heal. Um, a lot said in this reading, the first paragraph about the isolation, identified so much with that. Many years of living in isolation, they can still do it. I can still go into isolation mode. And thank God I have become people in my life that have been too quiet they will check on me just to see if I'm okay because I know what happens when I go in isolation. And um, there's more I wanted to share, but I'm kind of back and distracted. I just wanted to say my first impression was I didn't think that I could get um, any healing or any answers in a room full of people that were seemingly to have a good time. And um, such a very painful uh, reason why I was going in there and after being put through so much. But um, today I can say I'm one of those people that laugh and welcome and welcome other newcomers and people returning back to the room. But 
love what the previous speaker said. It does feel like a family reunion, um, especially when I go back to my home group in Queens. It's like a family reunion. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Sheila. And Sarah, please go ahead. Good morning, Kathy. This is Sarah, grateful recovered compulsive overeater. And that was me that was unmuted. I apologize. Trying to get the kids off to school for the first day. Um, I was thinking that um, one of my very favorite parts of the big book is page 133 along with 124, uh, that we cannot subscribe to the belief that this life is is a veil of tears, though it once was just that for many of us. It is clear that we made our own misery. God didn't do it. Um, I think, you know, and then it says avoid then the deliberate manufacture of misery. But if trouble comes, cheerfully capitalize it as an opportunity to demonstrate his omnipotence. You know, um, I do a lot in service. Um, and I have a very busy family life. And, um, you know, to kind of bring the last reading that we had also, um, you know, it does create some issues in the home. And, you know, to be able to have the communication as somebody else was speaking about in our homes and talk about if there's an issue that comes up that's uncomfortable for one of the family and be able to hear, you know, maybe this is something that I need to look at. And, you know, this is what recovery is about when somebody has an issue with us, to be able to hear what their issue is um, and to hear it in a way where we're not defensive, but we are able to uh, bring it to a higher power and ask God for help with it and then um, work through that issue. Because, you know, for me, the hardest place to work the program is in the home. And I think I've heard that from numerous people. Uh, but I love the part where it says that God wants us to be happy, joyous, and free. Because I believe that's true. And we cannot subscribe to the belief that life is a veil of tears. Um, you know, that self-pity that I can get into in disease, um, whether I'm recovered or not, uh, and and uh, feel like, you know, where am I going to go from here? And, and, you know, the isolation can start to happen no matter where we're at. And to, uh, you know, thank God we have a higher power now uh, that we've found in our second step and that we've turned our will and our life over to. Um, so it says, you know, we've made our own misery. God didn't do it. And I think that's, that's the lie that sometimes people and myself included have told myself, you know, how could God do this to me? And, you know, what I have found is that my greatest struggles in my life have been used for the greater good of others. That that is where God has used it, and I'm so grateful for that. And that's where I've I've really become more spiritually, you know, uh, connected during those struggles. Um, and so I'm grateful for those. You know, I'm, I'm not angry about them. And when I say I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive reader, I am truly grateful that I have this disease. Because if I didn't have it, I wouldn't have a, a higher power that I have today. I wouldn't have the life I have today. I wouldn't have the friends I have today. Uh, I wouldn't have uh, a, a design for living that I have today. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. And Bella, please go ahead. 
Thank you. Good morning, everybody. My name is Bella, and I'm a thankful recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, Katie, for doing this service, and thank you very much, everybody on the line. I love the reading that we read today, and um, we are sure God wants us to be happy, joyous, and free. Yes, thank you, God. This is the way that I choose to live now my life one day at a time. I am free because I can live with my feelings. I can feel my feelings. I can respect my feelings. I can, I feel human that I have feelings. I don't live in a deny. I don't live with guilt. I don't live with uh, putting, uh, ignoring my feelings. And yes, Today, I choose to be connected to God, and yes, I am allowed to feel my feelings, sometimes comfortable feelings, and sometimes not so comfortable, and still I feel them, but now that I am in the program, thank you, God, I know to pause and to ask myself, okay, Bella, now you are in pain, Now you are with anger, it's okay. You are human, and God created those feelings, but don't stay there. Okay, so now, Bella, let's see why you are in pain, why you are angry, at whom you are angry, and then always I'm coming to, to a solution. Yes. We are sure, yes, I am sure. We, we are sure God wants, wants us to be happy, joyous, and free. And then God didn't do it. Yes, God didn't do it. If I am with pain, it means that I am not connected to God. If I am angry, I am not connected to God. And Bella, this is the time to check out the connection with God. Yes, God didn't do it. If I am in pain, it means that, oh, here we go. Again, my character defect. And thank you, God, you gave me a new opportunity to work on them, to know that, yes, I am human. I have my character defect. I have my ego I have myself centered, and I have doubt the opportunity to work on them, to know that I, am, I don't have the power. I don't have driver license to drive my life. You know, I know that if I want to drive my life, it might be accidents. You know, and today I learned to live free, to respect my feeling, and to come back that, yes, I am connected to God, and God doesn't do it, and, yes, God wants me, <clears throat> sorry, to live happy and free. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Bella. And Paula, please go ahead. This would be Paula, Recovered Compulsive Obita, first beginning with gratitude. Thank you, Kathy, for the service today at this meeting. You know, there's so many places to go here, as in life, so many places to go. 
but I'm just going to zero in on a couple of lines, but we on a glum lot. If newcomers could see no joy or fun in our existence, they wouldn't want it. Who would? Who would? Hey, come along with us. Keep your nose in that book 24 hours a day. You read, you write, you listen. All part of, but not the whole. We absolutely insist on enjoying life and living life. This is what this book has given us. This is what God himself has given us. Now I want to go down to, and I'm going to scoot on here. So we think cheerfulness and laughter make use for usefulness. Outsiders are sometimes shocked when we burst into merriment over a seemingly tragic experience out of the past. But why shouldn't we laugh? And there's a question there. We have recovered and have given the power to help others. You know, I'm just going to go for a moment to what Bill W. says on page 16 and the beginning of the book. There is, however, a vast fun about it all. I suppose some would be shocked at our seeming worldliness and levity, but just, now listen to this, but just underneath, that's what's within me. There is deadly earnestness. I know. I know. It says here, we are sure God wants us to be happy, joyous, and free. When you're with me or when I'm with you, you should know that I should live this happy, joyous, and free. Does it depend on what's happening in my life? Oh, no. It can't be that. It's more than that. And I want to just go down to even here. Avoid then the deliberate manufacture of misery. Honey, not only did I manufacture misery, let me tell you, I was a great distributor of it too. But if trouble comes, rest assured here, it will. Cheerfully capitalize on it. Put it with a capital letter, honey. Because God's going to use this in a mighty way. Not that I would want it, but if it comes, look at what it says. It is an opportunity to demonstrate, to show, not by your words, but how you live your life. His omnipotency, it has nothing to do with me. It's who I'm tied to. It's who I'm tied to. I want to say thank you for allowing me to share. And with that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. And Carolyn, you're next. Hi, this is Carolyn, a recovered compulsive overeater from New York. Um, These passages are so powerful. Um, We absolutely insist on enjoying life. Why shouldn't we laugh? We have recovered. How incredibly powerful is that? And God does want us to be happy, joyous, and free. And today, thank you, God, I am all that. And I'm of of use to others. and trouble does come. You know, there's no doubt about that. It's not if trouble comes. In my mind, it's when trouble comes. Um, but cheerfully capitalize on it as an opportunity to demonstrate his omnipotence. Um, yeah, I mean, I can I can laugh about, you know, horrible moments in my disease. My last binge, I remember like it was yesterday, I was, you know, binging in a parking lot. I pulled to the furthest corner of this parking lot because I didn't want anyone to pull up beside me and see what I was doing. And um, now when I look back on it, you know, I can imagine a a cop pulling up and and knocking on the window and saying, ma'am, are you all right? And and turning to him with my face full of of sweets, right? Um, And I can laugh at that now because that's not me today. And when I tell that story in the room, sometimes I get get a laugh and it's like, because it's so, you know, not not are you all right, but I I feel like I'm doing a drug deal. That that was a restaurant. You know, like there's some sort of shadowy thing going on in the corner of this parking lot. you know, it, it's sad, and yet 
now that I'm not there anymore, it's also funny and it's something that I can capitalize on to demonstrate God's omnipotence. God took me out of that. God saw me so sick and so suffering and said, you know, you are, you are my child. You know, um, I'm, you know I'm, I am here for you. Please reach out for me. And if you do, I will not make hard work of, of a spiritual connection. And that is what happened. Um, and if trouble comes, also refers to life in general. You know, when bad things happen, you know, I see things on the news that are so devastating. And, um, you know, I see things in my own life, you know, economic, you know, uh, difficulties. Um, we recently had a family member die of cancer. This is the third one in, in two and a half years. Um, and, um, you know, my husband's taking it hard. And yet, you know, this is an opportunity for for me to say, you know, um, you know, God is active in our lives. You know, yes, this person was taken from us too soon and or, or in our estimation too soon, but God has a purpose and something positive will come out of this, even though we may not be able to see it now. You know, our own personal economic struggles, something positive will come out of this. I can already see a future where once our kids get through school, we will move on to a very different lifestyle where we have more, you know, more freedom in our minds because we're not burdened financially by the bad choices that we made that are hard to unmake when my kids are still in school. So, um, yeah, this is not a a valley of tears. Um, This is a place where I can live happy, joyous, and free with the direction of this program and the uh, the loving compassion and warmth of my higher power. Thank you. With that, I pass. Thank you, Carolyn. And Pam, you'll be our last chair today. Thanks, Kathy. Good morning, all. My name is Kim Jay, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. I've been waiting for this page. I've been obsessed with this line this last few months. It says, we have recovered, and we have been given the power to help others. I mean, that is just a miracle. That is just amazing. You know, I think to myself, you know, what have we done working through these 12 steps? We've gone from a self-centered life to a God-centered life. You know, if you go into a bookstore and you look for information on 12-step programs, you're going to have to go to the self-help section, which is kind of funny because we are not a self-help program. We are a self-abandonment program. I've walked through these steps. I have depressed self. I have found out selfishness and self-centeredness is the root of my trouble and that the price to be paid is the destruction of self-centeredness. And when I have destroyed that self-centeredness and I have recovered, I have the ability to have God work through me so that I can help others. And that is so different than when I used to work, you know, when I first came into OA and I was told at 21 days of abstinence to start sponsoring. Because what I was doing was I was being people's diet buddies. I didn't know anything. I, all I had was a food plan, and that was the only thing I had to offer you. And I had to look back. Were I effective? You know, if, if, if people are, are sponsoring early in their recovery, think back to yourself. When you're sponsoring when you haven't worked the steps yet, how effective were you? I know I, could, I would be able to diet buddy somebody through 30 days of abstinence. Nobody could stay abstinent. Nobody could stay recovered because I wasn't carrying this message. When I got this message by working all 12 steps, I was brought through a power greater than myself. I had emptied myself to such a point that God can now work through me to help others. And what a miracle it is to watch other people wake up, to watch other people who are asleep in this disgusting, despicable 
oh, frustrating disease and see their eyes open and their hearts open and their minds open. That's the power that we're given when we, after we walk through these steps. And recently it was pointed out to me, you notice it doesn't say I have recovered and I've been given the power to help myself. I can't help myself. That's why I have to live in 10, 11, and 12 every day. And the simple way that is put is step 10 is my contact with recovered people. Because I can't trust my own thinking when it comes to me because when I'm thinking about me, I'm not thinking of God. So I need recovered people on a daily basis to help me work through the things going on in my life. Step 11 is my daily contact with God. If I don't stay connected to the higher power in and of myself, I will pick up again. And step 12 is my, my contact with others. Contact with, with helping other people recover, contact with the world at large. And if I can stay grounded in all three of those, contact with recovered, contact with God, and contact with others, I have permanent recovery. Permanent recovery. I believe today, if I work these steps to, to the utmost, I have permanent recovery. And I am also equally convinced, if I stop working these steps, then in and of myself, I will pick up again. What a beautiful, beautiful statement. We have recovered and we've been given the power to help others. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Okay, it is now time for us to close uh, the meeting. Thank you to everyone who has shared today. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Um, Rachel M., would you please read a vision for you? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Yes. Good morning. This is Rachel. I'm thankfully recovered for today. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.